Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Bringing you Jesus Christ. This is The Way. WIAM 101.1 Current events. Personal values. Political and social issues. Technology. Wars and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. As a one-world economy comes together, is the U.S. having any part in forming it? In a world that wants to celebrate all ethnicities, a recent poll says that doesn't apply to the Jews. Rising food costs is certainly a sign of inflation, but what does God's Word say about the value of goods in the latter days? When Jesus talked about plagues and pestilence, it was in plurality. And we've got a news story that once again confirms the prophetic word of God. That's just some of what we'll discuss as we look at the signs of the times. Our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news for Friday, September 24th, 2021. Along with Pastor Mark Kirk, I'm Greg Hilt, and we want to thank you for joining us and want to let you know that you can learn all about our program, how you can listen later or ask Pastor Mark a prophecy question by visiting thewaymedia.net and click on Signs of the Times or just download the Way Media app on your mobile device, uh, mobile device rather, uh, whether you've got an Apple device or an Android device. So, uh, Pastor Mark, welcome to the program. Great to be here. Uh, I need to apologize because the sh- uh, the the note said we were going to have a, f- a feast, and so I was waiting for the caterers to come, and nobody showed. I was yeah. a little upset. Well, you know, again... It- that you know, see, that's the kind of things when the connection's bad. I uh, yeah, when the connection's bad. Well, you, you know, know stuff like you that. know how it is when church employees hear that there might be free food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we get excited. That's right. That's and right. so I thought, oh wow, okay, yep. this is going to be great. Calorie Chapel, Calorie Chapel. <laughs> yes, exactly. But uh, but in jest. But seriousness, we're going to talk about the biblical feasts from yes. the book of Leviticus and Pastor Mark. Many yeah. people, and I would say most people know if they've read the Old Testament, that they know that there are feasts talked about. Yeah. But the feasts are manifold in the sense that while there are physical feasts, there are spiritual feasts that God is talking about. Yeah. And there's also correlating to the same feasts as the prophetic component right. to that. That's right. So it's it's a manifold thing. It's beautiful, really. Yeah. And and so we're going to spend some time looking at that. And I think our listeners, if they don't know about it, they're going to love this. They are. And we've talked about it before, but a long time since we've talked yes. about it on the show. We shared something with the body a while back, and you brought up, hey, that'd be a great thing to go back and kind of revisit. And I thought this would be a great time to do that, because guess what? Uh, let's see. Today's the 24th. Two days ago, Feast of Tabernacles began. Okay. So it started the 22nd of this month, Feast of Tabernacles, which is the last of the seven feasts. Uh, they have a religious year that covers seven months. It's different than our normal regular calendar, that is, the Jews do. They have three of their feasts in the first month. Then they have one feast in the middle, and then they have three feasts at the very end. We are at their last feast at the end of their religious calendar uh, in celebration. And again, it's so important because the feasts were given so that um, they could be a reminder to the nation of Israel of what God had done for them. And each of the feasts points to something God did and is a reminder for the people of what God has done. But as you said, Greg, and we'll, we'll point out what those are as well in just a moment, but they also have a prophetic uh, meaning to them. And how do we know that now? We, you know, when the feasts were given, I don't know that uh, immediately anyone knew they had a prophetic meaning to them. But as thousands of years have gone by, we can now look back and see not only a prophetic meaning, but an actual literal fulfillment on each of these days 
uh, when the feast took place up to the point of where the ones have been fulfilled so far. So now we can, uh, with authority, say God has given the feast also in a prophetic way. Now, first of all, how were the feasts given? Um, in a uh, uh, you know a reminder way. First of all, there's this uh, the Passover and unleavened bread, the first two, if you will. Um, and the Passover and unleavened bread, Passover uh, was to remind them they came out of Egypt, that God delivered them, uh, that death angel that was judging everyone in Egypt, all the firstborn, if they didn't have the blood on their home, he would pass over their house, hence the word Passover. Then the next day began, uh, immediately after that began, what we call the Feast of Unleavened Bread, what they call the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And unleavened, very interesting, in Scripture, leaven is a picture of sin or evil. So, when you have unleavened the day after, it's a picture of the lamb dying for sins, the blood covering sins on the home, then immediately sin being taken away in unleavened, if you will. That was the second feast. The third feast was the Feast of first fruits, and that's where they would go three days after the Passover. Uh, the very first crops were coming in. They would take a small sprig, almost like that new grass that's coming up in your yard if you planted it in the fall, or just your first uh, things coming up in your garden. You, they weren't really... You couldn't really use them uh, to eat yet, but they were the very first fruits of your garden uh, before the harvest. You would take those to the priest and give them to the priest. And again, it, it represented giving God the first of your goods. We call it today, possibly you could say a tithe. It would be a good picture of that. You're giving God the first, the best, the first. There it was. And then you would go 50 days later, 49 days later, actually, from Passover or Feast of Weeks. And then you had uh, the Feast of Weeks, which we call Pentecost. And that was when the harvest came in. So they would celebrate that to thank God for bringing the harvest in. Then you would go, of course, to the next feast, which is the Feast of Trumpets. And interestingly enough, they would blow trumpets. Uh, they didn't know which day or, or, or you know when it actually began. It's the only feast that begins at the first of the month. And so for the Jew to know the beginning of the first of the month, because they go on a 30-day work week, uh, work week, 30-day month, rather, um, it, the others, they knew when the feast began exactly because they started later in the month. Uh, but they go by a lunar calendar rather than the regular rotation we do. And so they don't know exactly on the first day when it's going to be. So the Feast of Trumpets could have been either the, you know, the first or second day right around there. They didn't know. It could have been either one of a number of days. They would blow these trumpets, a series of trumpets. The people would worship God and that would be that, that feast. They don't really know even today. The Jews will tell you, we really don't know what this feast is about or why we even do this feast. And that'll be very important as we go back through this in a moment from the prophetic standpoint. Then the next feast you would have uh, in that last month, the seventh month, of the Day of Atonement. And it was where the priest would go in and he would offer the blood, if you will. Usually they sacrificed animals for each person that came to uh, the Temple Mount. But here he would take blood for the nation, for the nation as a whole. He would offer that blood for the nation as a whole before God in the Holy of Holies. It was the only time all year that the high priest went into the Holy of Holies. And uh, and if, if God accepted that, offering then the nation went on they were blessed they were forgiven if god didn't accept it then the idea was then you're paying for it either god pays for it you know by the blood or you pay for it so they would celebrate day of atonement sacrifice the animals and all that then they came to the last feast of the seventh month which is the one we began two days ago uh, they began in israel two days ago on the 22nd the feast of tabernacles and it was a reminder feast that god had tabernacled among them the word tabernacle means to be among or to live among to 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 dwell with and so he tabernacled among them in the wilderness for those 40 years after they came out of egypt so um that whole picture they were going to remind themselves god wanted them to have this feast every year for seven you know, days a week-long feast to remind them that god tabernacled among them and so they would always remember that god was faithful to them coming out of egypt so there are the feasts and um, and now we look at the, the feast in a different way. That's just what they were for as yearly reminders. And the Jews still do them today, uh, celebrate them today. But now we look at them from a prophetic standpoint. And this is where it gets really exciting, Greg, looking at this prophetically. because And I'm going to read some of the scripture here because I think we need to do this to bring out the meaning here. Um, when you go back to the Passover, I think we already know if you've walked with the Lord any length of time, you already recognize some of the symbolism going on here. But notice what it says. This is out of Leviticus chapter 23, uh, starting in verse 4. It says, These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. Okay, Again, that would just depend on what day it was, depending on the rotation of the 30-day uh, month and the moon and all that. But they would have the 14th day of that month once it, once it started. And then on the 15th day, 
The next day, Feast of Unleavened Bread. So there you have the first two feasts uh, to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You You shall do no customary work on it. But you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. Now this is so amazing. Uh, because again, this was to remind them of the lamb's blood they put on their homes. And then, of course, the next day, the unleavened bread, uh, which was a, a sign of getting rid of sin in their lives, getting rid of anything that would be wrong before God. What a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And now we can see how this feast was prophetic and actually uh, fulfilled on Passover. You see, Jesus, the Bible says, was and is our Passover lamb. So when we apply his blood to our home, if you will, the home of our heart, we, we, we accept what he's done for us on the cross, then our sins are forgiven, and then we have the unleavened bread following right after that, meaning all of our sins are washed away and we're forgiven. It's interesting, when you look at leaven, leaven um, the way you get bread to leaven is it puffs up. It's the fermenting process, and it puffs up. And so it gives a picture of pride and sin and doing your own thing, whereas unleavened bread, having no leaven, wouldn't puff up. It was, it was in the cracker form, if you will. And, um, and so it showed this purity, this innocence, this lack of pride or arrogance or whatever. And, and what's cool about this, not only is it a, a prophetic picture here of Jesus and him taking our sins away, what makes this, you know, really, uh, exciting and we see how it's a prophetic feast is Greg, this literally was fulfilled on Passover 2000 years ago with Jesus. And so it was literally fulfilled on that Passover, which according to Sir Robert Anderson, who has done all the calculations of when that would have been, that would have been April 6, 32 AD. And again, Josephus, a Jewish historian, writes about this. He worked for Rome, but he's a Jew. He writes about this historically, saying this was how many millions of people, over two million people at the Passover Jesus was at when he was uh, taken and crucified. And literally, it was prophetically fulfilled on the day of Passover, when Jesus died on the cross, and unleavened literally fulfilled as the sun went down. Remember, they got him down before that day was done. He had to finish that sacrifice before the sun went down, uh, because the Jews considered it uh, a curse or unclean to have anyone hanging on a cross, a dead body, uh, moving into the pa- Passover celebration, uh, uh, the actual Sabbath, if you will. And so it was. So he died on the cross. They took him down on Passover before they headed into the Sabbath. That was that next day, and. Um, so now we had the Passover, and immediately afterwards, in the moment he died, it got dark shortly after that, which is the beginning of the Jewish day, and unleavened bread was fulfilled. So literally both of them fulfilled on the days they were supposed to be fulfilled, and now we see the, the, the prophetic nature of them and the fact that they were fulfilled prophetically at the exact time that they happened. So what would happen is now, again, three days after the Passover, you had the Feast of first fruits. Remember, this is the one where you would take the very first sheaf of your uh, you know, wheat or whatever. They would wrap it up with a, a binder, bring it to the priest. The priest would offer it in a, in a ceremony to the Lord, and it showed the first fruits of something to come later. Well, what's cool about that is all of us know what happened three days after Jesus died on the cross. He resurrected from the dead. And it's a picture of the first fruits of the harvest of resurrection. So the Lord resurrected. He was risen. He came back. He was here for 40 days on the earth. And he went back up into heaven, the first fruits unto God. But on that third day, he rose. So literally, the feast of first fruits was fulfilled. Let's read that. He says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of the harvest of the priest. He shall wave the sheep before the Lord, so this ceremony they did, to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day, when you wave the sheep, a male lamb of the first year, without blemish and a burnt offering to the Lord. Remember, Jesus was offered as a lamb without blemish. It's grain offering, and shall be two-tenths of an ephah, fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord, for a sweet aroma, and its drink offering shall be wine, one-fourth of a hen, uh, these are the measure, measures they used in that day in Israel. Uh, you shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you brought the offering to your God. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. So again, we see the first fruits, Jesus rising from the dead. He was that first, if you will, sheaf offered unto God uh, as he rose from the, from the dead, showing others will be raised from the dead later. And of course, all of us who know Christ will be raised from the dead. But we're going to see um, another prophetic fulfillment in a picture of a greater harvest of resurrecting from the dead in just a moment. 
So there you have the first three feasts. That would all happen. And, and, and since the months overlap, that was usually in, in, in April, May, and that range is when this happens every year, depending on how the calendar falls. Now, what would happen now? Well, 49 days later, you would come to what is called the Feast of Weeks. And it was called Weeks because it was weeks after, if you will, um, that the harvest was offered. And now the harvest was coming in. This is what we call Pentecost. They call it uh, Pentecost as well. But we got the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost. It has several names. And notice what he says. You shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day. So you have seven Sabbaths, 49 uh, actually days, but the 50th day would have been, again, the Feast of Weeks. Uh, after the seven Sabbaths, then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves, two tenths of an ephah. There shall be a fine flour baked of leaven, first fruits to the Lord. You shall offer them with bread of seven lambs of the first year. And it goes down all the different details you're supposed to do here. Uh, then you sacrifice uh, one of the goats as a sin offering, two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice and a peace offering. The priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering for the Lord uh, with two lambs. Again, he goes on, uh, uh, you reap the harvest of your land. You shall not wholly reap the corners, but leave some for the poor. So he just gives more details. It talks about the feast, but also practical things built into the feast and how the priests were to do the sacrifices. Now, here's the cool prophetic thing about this feast. And that is, it was the day of Pentecost, 49 weeks later, and the 50th day later. We now know that is the day of Pentecost. That is the exact day. And it happened then, that exact day that the church was born. God poured out his spirit. Remember, it says in Acts uh, at chapter two, they were there waiting on the Lord. He said, wait in Jerusalem until I pour out the spirit. God poured his spirit out on them and the church was born. And so you see this harvest coming in of those who will be later resurrected from the dead. Jesus being the first uh, first fruits of that resurrection. Now we see all these others coming to Christ. They will be later resurrected. So the picture is the completed harvest of believers one day to be resurrected. So really cool. Uh, And again, fulfilled exactly on the day uh, that it was fulfilled. Now you've got four of the prophetic feasts now fulfilled. That brings us up to the next one. And uh, some of you are probably wondering, well, where are we in this whole picture? Because if there's seven, that would mean that when we get to the seventh one, it's complete because seven is the number of completion. And so the Lord's back and he's ruling and reigning. You're exactly right. But we're not there yet. So where are we in the prophetic picture as shown by the feasts of Israel in Leviticus chapter 23? Well, that's interesting because all of these first Three that have been fulfilled here, they've all taken place. They were all fulfilled, and they were all fulfilled on the exact day. Now, whether or not this next one will be fulfilled on that day or not, we don't know. I think you could try to make a good argument, I think, theologically, biblically, that it will be fulfilled on that day because the others have, but we can't say that. Only God knows. And the reason I leave that out, if you will, that openness to when this day is going to be fulfilled is because this represents the day that the Lord said no one will know the day or the hour, the rapture of the church. And what's exciting about this is the very next prophetic feast in order is the feast of the rapture. Let me explain this feast as I read this, and you'll see what the picture here God's giving us. It said, then the Lord spoke to Moses. This is in verse 23, saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying in the seventh month, On the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Now, if you go back and read your Bible, which I hope you do, that's all it says. We don't get any more details about the Feast of Trumpets. Now, it talks a little bit about it in another place as well, but you don't get any real details about the Feast of Trumpets. It is a mystery feast. And as I said earlier, going through with through this, even the priests in Israel don't really understand what the Feast of um, Trumpets is all about. And so what really makes this intriguing, what they would do is when the new month started, again, all the other feasts happen into their months. This is the only feast out of the seven that happens at the beginning of the month. And that adds a level of mystery to the feast, which is exciting to me because this feast, again, the next thing in line, it represents the rapture of the church. I'll explain more as we go through this. But also it's the next feast in order, which is exciting because now we can say, all right, the next thing to happen prophetically is the rapture of the church. Uh, That's the pattern that God has followed so far. And I think we can say that on biblical authority. The next thing to happen is the rapture. But what they would do to determine the day is they would wait uh, on each month they did this. All 12 months they did this. So this month was no different. 
the priests, and there was an official priest who would give the go-ahead that the day had started or the month had started, because they start their days in the evening. They go evening, morning. He would watch the moon, and when you saw that crescent on the moon and the first stars that appeared, okay, that's the beginning of the month. So they had an official moment that the month began. When that happened, they would give trumpet blasts to let everyone know the month had began. They would light these fires on hills, if you will, that would from hill to hill you'd see all across the nation. So everybody in all the regions of the nation knew the exact first day of each month. They would need that for all kinds of reasons, for work purposes, for everything else, but really practically for spiritual reasons, for celebrating the feast and doing it at the right time that we didn't have to send horses and couriers all over you know israel telling everybody they all knew by the fires which i think is really cool the nation is so small they could put these fires on mountaintops and everybody from a distance they'd space them out so it covered the entire country and you knew the day it started but here's what's really cool about this greg and i love this when it comes to this particular feast because again it represents the the path uh the rapture why a trumpet blast would blow, and then the people would just worship God in celebration that the feast had begun. But they, that's all they did. They didn't know what else to do. And when the rapture takes place, the Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter 4, the trumpet will blast, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and everyone else will rise to meet them. And it's the whole picture here of the rapture of the church, the trumpet blast, and the people gathered to the Lord. We now know what this feast is about. We know that it's the gathering of the church to the bride of Christ in heaven. But the Jews don't know because they don't know Jesus Christ. They still don't know what this feast represents today, nor do they see the prophetic meaning in all these other feasts. So we don't expect them to understand. But what's really cool about this, something I learned here in just the last six months is that this feast was known as the feast that no one knew the day or the hour. They talked about that. We'd say nobody knows the day or the hour of the Feast of Trumpets. Why? Because since it was the first day of the month and no one knew when the crescent was really going to appear and when the stars were going to appear to start the month, you didn't know whether it was going to be like right before uh, the sun went down or right after the sun went down. You wouldn't know the day or the hour. It literally had this kind of seesaw thing, depending on when the actual, you could see things good enough to say that the month had began. Uh, her had begun. And I find that really cool because Jesus said this, be ready, be watching, because I'm coming at an hour that you don't expect. He said, no one knows the day or the hour. And so, again, we see Jesus making the reference to no one knowing the day or the hour, and the Jews referred to this feast as the feast no one knew the day or the hour because you didn't know when the day officially began. So the Lord was talking about the rapture in that pa- in that particular passage. Here he's giving a picture of the rapture, and by the way, For those of you who may be questioning whether or not the rapture is real, um, we will know the day. We may not know the hour, but those that are here on the earth, when the second coming takes place, which which is different than the rapture, and you'll see why when I say this, they're going to know the exact day if they know scripture. Because Daniel chapter 2, you say, well, how could they know scripture? All the Christians have been taken. Listen, there's a lot of people today who don't know God. They've not made a true commitment, but they've studied Bible prophecy. I know people like that. They know Daniel chapter 2, but they don't know God. Which means when the rapture takes place and they're left behind, they're going to be able to calculate the number of days. Daniel tells us it will be 2,520 days after the Antichrist signs a treaty with Israel and the surrounding nations. So those that miss the rapture and know what it says in Daniel chapter 2, Greg, they'll know the day. They literally could count down on a calendar. You could look ahead on a calendar 2,520 days and go, Jesus is coming that day. You could put an X on it and you would be correct. So are you able to defy the words of the Lord? No. He said, no one will know the day or the hour. That means there's there's two events we're talking about here. Hmm. There's a second coming and there's the rapture. And so that's why we know this, the rapture is true, first of all. And secondly, this feast is talking about the rapture of the church. So that's exciting, especially about the fact it's the next feast in line. That brings us to, and I know my time, watching my time here. Is no, you're doing great. I've got a zip on there. I've got yeah. two more to go. The Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, this is really cool. That means, okay, the rapture takes place. Those of you that are thinking ahead prophetically now in this whole picture, what is the thing that happens, the very next thing that happens after the rapture of the church? The Great Tribulation. Now, why is that interesting? That will be the Day of Atonement. And notice what it says, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, also on the tenth day of this seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall do no work on the same day, the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. Now, here's my point. Remember, this is when the high priest went one time a year to offer blood for the nation. And what he's saying is, in picture is, this represents all the people. 
if the people are not repentant before God, if they are repentant before God, no judgment. The blood covers them. If they are non-repentant before God, they have to face their own judgment because God's not going to pay for it. Guess what happens in the Great Tribulation? I know our prophecy of people out there know God begins to judge the world. He begins to pour out His Spirit on the nations of the world. Why? Because the Day of Atonement has come. That is, we call it payday. This is payday. You've not accepted the blood of my son, the blood of the lamb, offered on the altar as a covenant. So because of that, since you didn't let me pay for it on the cross, now you have to pay for it. And I'm going to begin to pour out the bowls and blow the trumpets and open the seals and all the judgments that were poured on Jesus for us when I would be poured out on the earth in their rebellion during the Great Tribulation. And hence, the Day of Atonement will be fulfilled. So scary but exciting to see what's going to happen. Now, at the end of the Great Tribulation... All you prophecy students out there, what's the next thing to happen? The second coming. The Bible says at the end of the great tribulation, Jesus will come uh, in heaven on the clouds. The saints, that is us, will come with him. Uh, He will come down to the earth. He will establish his throne on the earth. And notice what happens. He will tabernacle among us. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel for the feast of tabernacles. That is the 15th day of the seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles. And again, they would build these booths. I'm not going to read all of it for time's sake. They would build these little houses they lived in outdoor to represent God tabernacling among them. But here's what's really cool about this feast. At the end of the Great Tribulation, Jesus comes back in the second coming, and he lives among us on this earth for a thousand years, and the Feast of Tabernacles will be fulfilled. That is, the Lord will be tabernacling among us. And so you see, all of these feasts have a purpose They all have a reason. They have a prophetic fulfillment. And now we get to this prophecy fulfillment here at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles uh, when Jesus comes to rule and reign. And it's very exciting, not just to understand it from a biblical uh, standpoint, like what the feast represented for the nation of Israel, or even the fact that they, uh, what they show us prophetically. But in essence, Greg, they give us a roadmap to where we are and where we're going. And here's the exciting thing. The very next feast to happen prophetically is the Feast of Trumpets. And so that means the rapture is the next thing. And by the way, before the Day of Atonement can take place, the Feast of Trumpets has to happen. Before Tabernacles can take place, the Day of Atonement has to happen. So Feast of Trumpets has to be out of the way. Then these other feasts come, and that is one of the strongest arguments for the pre-tribulation rapture. There's a lot of reasons, but that's one of the strongest arguments prophetically and scripturally for the pre-tribulation rapture. And again, it gets me excited, Greg, because... It shows how close we are to the rapture of the church. It's the next thing holding everything back. The Lord's going to be moving forward soon. And uh, I think we see that by the signs of the times around yeah. us in the world. And so what's the next major prophetic thing to happen? It's, it's going to be the Feast of Trumpets. Now, there are other things that could happen before that. I want to make a quick clarification before we run out, run out of time. We don't know when Damascus is going to be destroyed. Isaiah chapter 17, verse 1. And that's, um, of course, we're talking now outside of the feast order. That's here. outside yes. of the feast. That's just a yeah. prophetic event. Yes. So when I said this is the, the next thing to happen, I'm not saying that it might not be the next thing to happen. We might see Damascus destroyed. We might see Ezekiel 38 and 39 take place. But this is the next prophetic feast to take place. The other things could sneak in there. But either way, it's very exciting because uh, I think we're getting closer. I know we are. And we're right on the cusp of it, Greg. I mean, the way things are happening right now, I do believe it could happen at any moment. You know, and another component to all of this that could happen while we're still here. Yes. You know, I mean, Damascus could happen while we're still here. That's right. Okay, there's nothing that says the church will be removed before Damascus. That's right. And the other thing, too, is very interesting, is that the formation of the one world government. Right. There's nothing in Scripture that says that the church won't be here during that. That's exactly right. We would hope to be gone as quickly as possible before any of that, but... But scripturally, there's nothing that says that we won't be here during that. That's right. As a matter of fact, remember the Antichrist, we talked about this in the last couple of weeks. It's got to be in place before he officially takes power. Yes. Because he's got to rise up in the midst of it and pull three of them down. Yeah. And then he takes power. Yeah. So this 10 will be in place before the Antichrist is revealed. And and I don't know if many people are like me. When I was first reading prophecy, I, I thought in my mind... The Antichrist is the one that would form the one world government, but that's Me not too. true. <laughs> not when you read Daniel, that makes it clear. No, yep. It sure does. Yep. Pastor Mark, thank you so much. What a rich, rich teaching on the feasts. When we come back, we've got lots of articles to get to 
as Signs of the Times continue. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. WIAMLP 101.1 FM, Knoxville. It's Crazy Money Day. Hey, I'm Chuck Bentley with my Money Live from Crown. Do you own any cryptocurrencies? Blockchain News reported that Visa card holders spent over a billion dollars in crypto during the first half of 2021. They're committed to taking cryptocurrencies mainstream. Visa CFO said, We're doing a lot to create an ecosystem that makes cryptocurrency more usable and more like any other currency. He noted that people are exploring ways to use cryptos in ways they'd use normal currencies. Recent MasterCard research found that 93% of North American consumers plan to use cryptocurrency or other emerging payment technology, such as biometrics or QR code systems, in the next year. It's our responsibility as stewards to know what's going on in the world of finance. I believe that governments will be forced to attempt to regulate all forms of digital currencies in the future. They want to maintain their desire to exercise global monetary policy. A central bank digital currency will come with pros and cons. Meanwhile, investors are experiencing wild swings in crypto prices. Some experts say this will eventually drive them back to gold. Although the security and longevity of Bitcoin has yet to be seen, companies like Visa are proving that people are interested in making it work. What really matters is that it all belongs to God. The cattle on a thousand hills, the silver, the gold, and the crypto. Our job is to seek His wisdom and to steward wisely. In my new book, Seven Gray Swans, I describe potentially significant events that could happen. In fact, most of them are happening before our eyes. A gray swan's an obvious danger we tend to ignore. My goal is to show you how to prepare for and survive these economic threats. The ebook is available now at Amazon.com. A moment of grace with Ed Taylor. God wants all of you. The time is short. And what God places value on is really not what we place value on. We tend to place value on possessions and places and positions and money and that seems to be important to us. But what's important to God is the souls of men and women and boys and girls. What's important to God is that we use our positions and our possessions and our money and our places and, and our houses and our apartments and our mind and our wit. God would have us to use that which he's blessed us with, not only to provide for the needs of our family and to richly enjoy, but to be used as tools to reach a lost and dying world. You can learn more at edtaylor.org. Grow deeper in your love relationship with Jesus by visiting edtaylor.org. This has been a Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor. Signs of the Times now continues. Here again is your host, Welcome back, everyone, to the second half of our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news. These are the Signs of the Times for Friday, September 24th. This is episode 185 for those podcasting. Listening to us later, we do appreciate that. Uh, And when I say podcast, we're speaking about the audio component. Um, We had a video disaster of sorts. Uh, Not too sure what happened. Um, However... And we'll say this again next week, um, because we've got a lot of people that watch the show and might be first-time viewers through video, whether it's through Facebook or whether it's through YouTube, and don't realize that the show is also being broadcast live on our radio station, WIAM, which is why we always tell you, download the Way Media app, because in the Way Media app, you can also listen to our radio station, which has been fine. The audio has been streaming and broadcasting fine, so you can, if, if they're in the future, if there is anything that goes wrong with our live video, 
Just know your backup plan is WIAM, and you can still hear the program through our radio station, whether it's on 101.1 FM or you go to thewaymedia.net, click on WIAM, and follow the Listen Live prompts. Yeah, good. It's good for everybody to know all yes, the different ways all to get the us because you never know what's going to go down. And like we had the video go down. Well, now you got other options. You can't see us. And I'm um, sorry us? you can't see Greg's pretty face today. Oh, but, you my know, word. But listen, hey, next week, well, it's big camera right on him, zoom lens. You'll see everything. With free food, maybe, <laughs> yeah, yeah. as opposed to, yeah, the feast I thought the, I was going to have a feast. It would be the feast of WIM rather than the yes. feast of God. So. There, there you go. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> okay. Let's get into some articles. As we look at the one world economy, we go to time.com, Pastor Mark, to find yes. this article. The U.S. is losing the global race to decide the future of money. And it could doom the quote-unquote almighty dollar. Yeah, let me read it and talk why this is really important prophetically. In cities across China, the country's central bank has begun rolling out the e-renminbi. I'm probably saying that wrong. Hmm. But, the, but renminbi, apparently, is their, their digital, but the, the digital version, on an all-digital version of its paper currency. Renminbi. Thank yeah. you. Renminbi? Renminbi? Is that what it is? Yeah, renminbi. Renminbi, all right. It's the all-digital version of its paper currency that can be um, accessed and accepted by merchants and consumers without an internet connection, credit, or even a bank account. Once uh, the world leader in digital payments and technological innovation, the U.S. is being outpaced by its top global global adversary, as well as much of the industrialized developing world. I don't think the U.S. is aware there is a race, is the quote. Uh, Interesting. Late to the party, the U.S. is stepping up its research and public engagement on digital currency, the Federal Reserve says, including forming working groups on cryptocurrency uh, and other kinds of digital money and experimenting with technology that would be central to producing a digital dollar. The Fed's regional Boston branch is overseeing the projects with the Massachusetts Institute of Technology on what is known as the Project Hamilton um, but uh, the path towards a digital U.S. dollar has met many challenges. Skeptics and opponents, um, skeptics and outright opponents, while China and other countries push forward. And here's why this is huge, Greg. I know you already know this, but for those of you listening, we are going to a one-world economy, and I believe it's going to shift from money over to digital. That's the easy way to keep up with the whole world and have a, a currency you can use anywhere in the world instantly. You don't have to transfer monies, exchange monies. It is an instant currency. Remember, when the Antichrist takes the world over, there'll be the one world economy, the one world religion, the one world system. And so the one world money is going to be huge. And digital is now, I used to wonder, how is this going to take place? I think digital is how it's going to happen. There may be something else that comes up that it could be, but digital appears to be the way this is going to take place. And it's interesting, and I think of note, that America is lagging behind and losing influence in this area. Why? Remember, for the end time scenario to fully kick in, America has to decrease. It has to decrease. That's all there is to it. It's interesting. It's almost like America was kind of the, uh, for the last 200 years, we've kind of been the prophetic messenger for the Messiah. Uh, we've been a Christian nation. Behold the Lord, the Lamb of God's coming, you know, this kind of thing. And now we're seeing, what did John the Baptist say? I must decrease and he must increase. It's almost like now we're becoming like this decreasing John the Baptist. We're walking away from God. We're not really the central figure anymore. And the Antichrist is going to increase. So it's a different Messiah that's going to be rising, if you will, in my analogy there. But America is going to go down and other currencies are going to come up. And there's going to be a currency, a probably a crypto-type currency that will be the world-leading currency. But it won't be the I don't think. Here's what I'm saying. I don't think it'll be the ones we see today, Greg. I don't think it'll be Bitcoin. I don't even think it's going to be the renminbi. I don't think it's going to be China. Um, I It's going to be, I believe, it could be. But I think you don't see China come to the end until the very end of the Great Tribulation. They get really prominent. So I believe it's going to be a currency that is digital, that is based out of Europe somehow. I don't know what that means. You're connected to the European Union because that's going to be the headquarters of the Antichrist. So the dollar has to diminish. These other currencies have to take over. And, Greg, what do we see? The American economy is about to collapse, I believe. I think all the warning signs are there. How long it's going to last, I don't know. And, and I'm not saying we'll all go broke and run in the streets and not be able to eat. But I'm saying the American dollar is losing its influence around the world, even as we are as a nation. Yeah. You know, a couple of things to take note of. Uh, several years ago, we covered uh, an article that talked about the Amero. And yes, the Amero right. is a was a proposed, and I don't know where it's at in the whole process of planning or, or coming to fulfillment, but the Amero was a currency uh, that was... Uh, thought of to for the North American 
market. And when we say North American, that would be Canada, the U.S., and Mexico as a region. So it would be a regional currency. Now, whether we see regional currencies like 10 of them (laughs) to go with the 10 toes, and then they all become one, we don't know. Yeah, But I do agree with you that I don't think Bitcoin or cryptocurrency... There will, it would probably be a cryptocurrency of some sort, but here's the problem right now with cryptocurrency as it exists. It's decentralized. Right, exactly. Which right. means that no government can control a decentralized yeah. currency. Yeah. So something has to take control over that. Now, yeah. and how that works, I don't know, because we're talking about a very sophisticated system when it comes to the blockchain technology through which cryptocurrency gets created. Yeah. And it's it's based on decentralized computers that the algorithm or the computation is what builds and controls and secures the blockchain right. so it can't be defrauded. But that's not controlled in one place. That is distributed through computers throughout the world. Yeah. So there's a lot that they've got to understand, first of all, in order to create something maybe different or learn how to um, undecentralize and centralize this stuff. So we're going to get there at some point, but what is it going to look like? We have no idea, but is it going to be digital? Uh, I I would say almost, and agree with you, almost absolutely, just because when we look back at what the Bible alludes to, how the mark of the beast will be used. Yeah, Yeah, I think it'll be something you scan, and that's going to be the operation. Now, that brings up a great point, Greg. You bring up a great point I want to kind of extrapolate on here, and that is um, we're going to see, as Satan begins to take the world over through the control of the Antichrist, every function of the world must be taken over at some point. Yes. How that process is going to happen, we don't know. There is going to be a taking over of the monies of the world and the control of those monies. Um, you know, you just saw, you want to see like the headwinds of prophecy, uh, you know, just this week, um, president Biden said he wants to know every transaction Americans do with their banks over $600. Now I'm not jumping into the political realm. I'm simply saying, these are the kind of things you're going to see governments more involved. They want to know where the money's going, how it's being spent. How can I control it? The antichrist is going to be worse. This is only the beginning. He's going to control all of the monetary aspects of the world. He's going to know everything everyone has and what they can spend, what they can't spend. Without the mark, you can't buy, you can't sell. We're going to see, again, a control of the governments. He's got to get complete control of all the governments. And, Greg, an issue that we're not going to get into today, but it's going to be something to come up in the future, I believe. He's going to have to get total control of the Internet. Listen, the Internet and media has loop has holes in it that can leak past what, what Satan wants the world to hear. So there's got to be a way to control that to stop signs of the times, to stop different programs, Bible things. There's got to be a way to control the information flow. So you're going to see an intervention into the Internet. You're going to see an intervention into the governments. You're going to see an intervention into the finances. It has to be there. It will be there in some form and fashion. We just don't know what it is. But this is very interesting in light of the fact of the American dollar getting weaker and now others stepping up to the plate because it's going to be, I think, something out of Europe and um, and all of you that might be thinking you're doing a smart thing prophetically by getting into all the American currencies and, and digital, there may be a good investment for you, but be wise with that because I think it's going down at some point and it's going to be transferred to something different. Hopefully it can simply be transferred into Europe and nobody loses anything, but I think Europe's going to be where it's all going to be centralized and controlled by a governing authority. That's what you, what you said, Greg. There has to be a control over it. It has to run through some system. Where the Antichrist can give the say as to what's going to be and what's not going to be. It's not going to be these kind of loopholes and little leaks everywhere. It's going to be controlled. Yeah. And that's coming. Well, and, and it could be, it could be a cryptocurrency that, that is created at that level and all the other cryptocurrencies are denied transactions. There you go. Uh, Absolutely. You know, but or the same denied purpose. use. The same purpose. Same purpose. Just, Control. Just out of curiosity, this story you're talking about where uh, the government wants to track any financial transaction yes, above $600. Yes, yes. The, the reasoning behind that? You know, I haven't heard any. As a matter of fact, all I saw, we got a letter from one bank that said, hey, this is what President Biden wants to do. We feel that it's an intrusion on your personal uh, privacy. So banks are letting people know. We got a letter. Uh, I, read, I, rather, I read, a letter, read a letter from a bank. I don't know if it's our bank or not. Um, and I did confirm that that's what they're doing. Again, that has been confirmed. They're trying to know any transactions over $600. 
But at this point, I don't know if there's an explanation. It's just interesting about the mm. fact that they're really – you know, Greg, here's what – on a practical level, let's get non-spiritual for a moment sure. and, and non-political. On a practical level, the taxes are going to go up so much if they approve this $3.5 trillion thing. I think what they're trying to do is see where all the money is in the nation with all people to figure out the best way to do taxes and try to pay for this thing. Mm. That's what I think is happening on a practical level. Now jump back to the spiritual realm. On the spiritual level, I think these are the headwinds of when the Antichrist comes in with whatever type of currency he has, where he will monitor, know, and control every single penny everyone spends, and it's going to be done through the mark on the hand or the forehead. Mm. Okay, let's get into some growing anti-Semitism. This is from IsraelNationalNews.com, where a recent poll reveals that 65%, and this is here in in the U.S., by the way, uh, 65% of Jewish college students feel unsafe on campus. Yeah, we've talked about some of this in the past and watching this increase in um, uh, Jewish anti-Semitism, which is Jewish, but anti-Semitism. But listen to what it says. A survey also finds that half of Jewish students polled also hide their Jewish identity to avoid uh, physical and verbal attacks. They're not just afraid, they're trying to hide it so they don't get jumped on. Um, As you said, a new poll found that over 65 of American uh, Jewish college students said they feel unsafe, Half, uh, with half going as far as hiding their Jewish identity, those responding uh, that they have hidden their Jewish faith say that the uh, impetus was to avoid physical and verbal attacks as an anti-Israel and anti-Zionist organizations become increasingly aggressive in their campaigns and messaging against Israel and pro-Israel students found the study by Louis D. Brandeis, Center for Human Rights, it may be Brandeis, Center for Human Rights under the law. Now, there's a couple things to note here. One is... We talked about it before. Zechariah 12, as well as other places, talk about um, this increased persecution in the last days. Yeah. Everybody's going to turn against Israel. There'll be a stumbling block of drunkenness for everyone. That is, everybody's going to hate them and not like them. Um, and we've been talking about that happening. Again, on campuses, they're very zealous. There's a lot of activism that goes on on campuses, so they take a lot of attack. But again, the shocking thing is, Greg, America has been traditionally the, the greatest ally and friend of the Jews in the world. Now, when that final ally, not that others aren't friendly to some degree sometimes, but we've been their greatest friend. And when they lose their greatest friend and ally, that's a bad signal for where the nation is. You got to remember, they're tiny. Uh, the world, most of the world doesn't like them already. They lose their friends. They're in big trouble. And so this is a big deal when you look at this and all the stuff that's happening. Again, uh, I'll mention something that we didn't have in the articles, but I'm going to mention it because those news watchers out there know it. And I'll explain why I didn't mention it. But uh, yesterday, or day before yesterday, yesterday, let's see, no, day before yesterday, yesterday, okay, yesterday, that's right, they removed a billion dollars in funding for the nation of Israel um, for their Iron Dome. We, we promised them we'd give them that because all the enemies attacked them. That's what, again, it's a totally defensive weapon. It's not an offensive weapon at all. It only blocks when you're getting bombed, when they're throwing missiles in it, you had to knock them out of the air. So our, our Congress removes that. And everybody's going, what in the world are you doing? We're their only friend, or, or one of their only friends. We're their closest friend. We promised them we'd help them defend themselves. Now we're turning our back on them, and they're like, oh, well, it's just a procedural thing. It wasn't a procedural thing. It was a betrayal. Well, the good news is a lot of uh, Jewish voices began to hound the Congress as of when that passed. Interesting. And, and a, 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 a congressman reintroduced another bill today, either last night or today, to, even though they took it out of that other bill, he introduced a brand new bill to give a billion dollars to, to replace that to the Jews for their Iron Dome, and it passed resoundingly, which shows that there's enough pressure there on them that they knew they needed to support Israel and the Jews for the American people. But again, the main thing to recognize here is is that the Bible says in the last days there's going to be a mass worldwide turning against the nation of Israel. So when you see their best friends jumping in, you realize we're that much closer to the end because when they start losing their best friends and now we're losing our power and influence in the world, this is when the enemy can come in, where Satan and the Antichrist can come in and really turn up the heat. So keep your eye on that. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, those that bless Israel, I'll bless. Those that curse Israel, I'll curse. Genesis 12. That's right. Absolutely. That's right. All right. Let's get into some pestilence, plagues, disasters. And corruption, otherwise known as the smorgasbord of yuck. Uh, this first article, Pastor Mark, uh, is from, I guess, BloombergQuint.com. Not right. too sure what the quint is. Uh, but the title of the article is Priciest Food Since the 1970s 
is a big challenge for governments. Yeah, as you guys know, inflation is at its highest rate since the 70s, and they're saying next year is going to be way worse. Uh, many of you are already seeing the uh, prices on your groceries. The article says whether uh, for bread, rice, tortillas, the governments across the world. Now, note this. Well, we've talked about this in the past. When you're looking at prophecy, don't just look at America. There are some appropriate things to talk about only in America because we're the most powerful nation in the world and our influence worldwide. But now, you look for worldwide impact. Look at this. Whether bread, rice, tortillas, governments across the world know that rising food costs can come with a a political price. The dilemma is whether they can do enough to prevent having to pay it. Global food prices, global food prices were up 33% in August from a year earlier with vegetable oil, grains, and meat on the rise. Data from the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization now show. And it's not likely to get better as extreme weather, soaring freight and fertilizer costs, shipping bottlenecks, and large um, labor shortages compound the problem. Listen, we'll get back to that. There are boats out there that can't even come in. They won't let them come in because of COVID. It's crazy. Uh, Dwindling foreign currency reserves are also hampering the ability of some nations to import food. From Europe to Turkey to India, politicians are now handling handing out more aid ordering sellers to cut prices and tinkering with trade rules to uh, mitigate the impact on consumers. Now, why is this important? We're not going to see the major drastic worldwide famines. Now, you're going to see famines you always do. There are famines right now in parts of the world. But the worldwide impact of a lack of food is coming. The whole world is going to be hungry at some point. There's going to be a lack of food worldwide. When does that happen? After the rapture, during the Great Tribulation, it talks about famine, you know, as you begin to read of the judgments God is bringing there in Revelation. So these are the headwinds of those coming famines. But, Greg, already watching this begin to happen, you're seeing it formulate. How could it happen? You're watching it happen. And, again, this is something that either God is allowing to happen or God's allowing the enemy to do. But but either way, the earth groaning, wherever you want to put it, it's on the way. It's groaning. It's the beginning of sorrows. Uh, Question, though, for you, Pastor Mark, in Revelation, when it's talking about the the famines of revelation right okay is does that also coincide when it talks in scripture about that they will be throwing their gold into the streets that basically the value of currency or you know whatever you can barter with is going to be worthless yeah you can't do anything you can't do anything with it yeah and see and that doesn't that doesn't take away from the idea of digital currency a lot of people are storing gold See, if you have digital currency as a system, you can still use gold. All you do is transfer that gold to digital currency. People want gold because it's got value to it. But there, it, what his point is there, when all this starts happening, I don't care how much gold you have. You can't eat gold. Yeah. You can't eat silver. You need bread. You need rice. You need whatever you need. And uh, and so, yeah, they're going to – basically, they're going to look at the, in desperation and just frustration and, and exasperation is the word I'm looking for. Mm. They're just like, we have all this gold that we stored up for the last days, and we can't use it. Because it doesn't matter how much gold we have. You could be the richest person in the world. Listen, you could be a billionaire. But if there's no bread to buy, yeah. your billions do you no good. And that's the idea behind that. The gold will be thrown in the streets. It's scary stuff. Let me yeah. make a quick comment before sure. we move on. Okay. I think we have time, Greg. Okay. You watch what's happening in our world as far as food, as far as prices, as far as uh, uh, famine, as far as employment, as far as whatever. I've, I've been shocked in this last week. At the number of restaurants and stores that are now closed because they can't find people to work there. Yeah. I got stranded over in, um, in Fountain City the other day uh, for just a short amount of time. I thought, well, while you're coming to get me, I'm going to go and grab something to eat. There were five restaurants lined up there on the, on, on this one strip mall there and all of them, but one were closed because it said they couldn't find workers. Five restaurants. They were all closed but one, and, and, and they were closed because they didn't have any employers. I went inside. I said, hey, I can't believe all these restaurants are closed. He said, yeah, everybody's quitting because they, you know, why work? You've got all the government money coming in. They're not working. And then he said, and I'm the only one working here. He said, he said this place is great. I won't mention it. But he said, this place is great. They pay high money. They're, it's a great person, place to work for. He said, but we can't get anybody to work here because they're just sitting home and they've got checks coming in the mail. Why do they want to? And I'm watching this going, this is the kind of stuff that's going to lead to want. It's going to lead to famine. It's going to lead to people quit working. People quit striving uh, to, to, to make a living. Labor shortages that mentioned here is part of the reason we don't have yeah, supplies. Exactly. Greg, it's all happening. This yeah. is exactly what the Bible, we didn't know how it would happen. Happen, yeah. But again, this is larger than uh, politics or government leaders, guys. This is a worldwide um, a move of the enemy to get the world in line for the Antichrist. Yeah, amazing. All right, our next uh, article, Pastor Mark, comes from Israel365news.com. 
Euphrates River begins to dry up. Yes. And they put in here a prophecy of Jeremiah. So uh, is this true or not? Why don't you talk about that? Yeah, I do want to talk about okay. it. I'm going to give you another prophecy as well on this. Yeah. Um, because listen to what this is. Let me read it first. Originating in Turkey, the Euphrates flows through Syria and Iraq to join the Tigris. Uh, in the Shat al-Arab, which empties into the Persian Gulf. This year, rainfall in southern Turkey, where the Euphrates begins, was the lowest in 30 years. And for the past two years, the region has received only 50 to 70 percent of normal rainfall. Syria is currently facing its worst drought in 70 years. The 1,700-mile-long Euphrates is the main source of drinking water, as well as power, with hydraulic hydroelectric plants that produce electricity for 3 million people in Syria, two dams. Anyway, it goes down this whole big thing of all they do. And then this particular uh, um, Jewish priest or rabbi is the one you know, saying this, and I, I think he's wrong on it. We're not looking at him prophetically because I don't know that he even knows the Lord. But he does bring up something interesting about this. The prophet Jeremiah described how the waters of Babylon, the region currently including Syria and Iraq, would dry up as a punishment for their idolatrous practices. The uh, devastation being so complete as to render the region once part of the so-called Fertile Crescent as uninhabitable. And he quotes Jeremiah 50, I'll read it to you, 38 and 39. A drought against its waters, that they be dried up, for it is a land of idols. They are uh, besotted by their dread images. Surely wildcats and hyenas shall dwell there, ostriches shall dwell there, it shall never be settled again, nor inhabited through the ages. Now, that is going to happen. He's right. This okay. is going to happen. The Euphrates is going to dry up. But I want, for those of you that hear it and are prophecy followers, I want you to be able to categorize these kind of things. Because I imagine if you follow prophecy and you know it, this would get your attention. But this is not going to be until the Great Tribulation. As a matter of fact, this is going to be something that's going to be getting everybody ready for Armageddon. And I want to read something to you. And out of Revelation, chapter 16, verse 12, describing when this will take place. He's simply referring to it happening now based on judgment of Israel. Ah. You know, maybe there's some kind of small headwind of the Euphrates drying up, but the real fulfillment of this is going to be Revelation 16, verse 12. It says, Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up. So it's going to happen. He's right about that. So that the way of the kings of the east, but here's why, so that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. That is, this is the armies as they're moving toward Israel to be gathered for the battle of Armageddon. So Euphrates will dry up. These could be some headwind warnings, but it's not going to dry up until the Great Tribulation. Okay. All right, Pastor Mark, our last article of the day comes from Breitbart.com. Uh, this is from the CDC announcing that Afghans arriving in the U.S. are infected with measles, malaria, and tuberculosis, yeah. another Matthew 24, plagues and pestilence. Absolutely, and again, out of Matthew 24, we know there's going to be pegs and pe- uh, pegs. Yeah. Uh, plagues and pestilence in the last days, pestilences with an S. So, again, I think we're seeing this might very well be a part of what we've been reading about. And before I even read this, remember, there's also a lot of, this is not talking about the southern border, where all the Haitians and other people are coming in as well. And this is nothing against the Haitians or those coming across. This is simply saying that there are many we're letting into our nation that are not being properly evaluated health-wise before they're let into the nation, which means we are going to see, I predict, a spread of disease and even diseases that we've not been experiencing in America for a long time. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and so it's going to get interesting. But uh, notice, President Joe Biden's administration is bringing Afghans to the United States who are carrying viruses such as measles, malaria, tuberculosis, as well as the Chinese coronavirus, according to Centers for Disease Control. A CDC official wrote this, as of September 20th, 2021, CDC has been notified by public health departments of 16 measles cases among the evacuees. In addition to measles, CDC officials revealed that some Afghans brought to the U.S. have spurred outbreaks of viruses such as varicella, mumps, tuberculosis, malaria, leishmanesis, hepatitis A, and coronavirus. As Breitbart News has chronicled, the Biden administration is planning to permanently resettle Afghans in 46 states. And by the way, we already have, uh, uh, I know someone that works in the health department, uh, health, health industry, I should say, and they already had 20-some Afghani people come in for checkups here immediately after those flights came out of Afghanistan. I have Look, I have no problem with the Afghanis coming here or the Haitians coming here. Again, that's not an issue of where they are, who they are, whatever. My concern is this. Are they being properly treated medically before they're released into our neighborhoods? Because, you know, there's some diseases that we're going to start seeing pop up because they're interacting with everyone in the neighborhood. So it's not about uh, any type of any type of judgment on them or not liking them. It's about health, health, health. Very, very unwise what's happening here. And note this. 
President Biden uh, is going to resettle, it says. His hope is to resettle 95,000 Afghans across the U.S. over the next 12 months. So you're spreading out almost 100,000, and they're not really checking them medically. Again, pegs and uh, plagues. <laughs> plagues and pestilence, <laughs> yes. last days, Matthew 24. Yeah. But we trust the Lord. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Remember, he's in control. We just need to be informed as to what's going on and Absolutely. understand why. And continue to pray accordingly. Absolutely. All right, Pastor Mark, thank you, uh, folks. Don't forget the waymedia.net for everything related to our program. We'll have the audio of the show posted on there later and hopefully have our video fixed next Friday. And we'll see you or hear you next Friday at 1.30 for more Signs of the Times. never said that you've been put at a disadvantage because you've relied on God's help. It may be true that the way he helped was different than you expected, but the outcome did not include a disadvantage. He refuses to condemn those he rescues. He makes the impossible possible. He gives without expecting repayment. The very fact that God helps you means he listens to you, accepts you, and looks out for your best interest. You can ask why bad things happen to you, but that's never been God. Sin creates an environment where bad things happen to all people, and it's God's mercy that brings good to the trouble.